And uh, but we can, not that we're going to be formal, but we're we're uh, we're going to do the PowerPoint part now. So this is a review of our the book we've been reading through or studying through is a book um, written by a husband and wife author called Sent. And the whole first part of the book was believing that God has sent you. And then the second part of the book, which is we're starting tonight, is living like a sent person. And then the third part is best practices for everyday living. And so just as a review, um, if you were going to believe that God has sent us, we need to realize that God's always working to draw people to himself. He uses people to draw people to himself and to, to lead them to Jesus. And God continually <clears throat> invites us into the work of evangelism. So that's the starting point of believing that we're sent ones. And then the, we need to believe that the gospel is good news. And so it's good to ask ourselves, do I really believe the gospel is good news? Do I really believe that every person is lost apart from the gospel? And practical steps toward improving my gospel awareness. So those are all good questions to ask ourselves. And then if I'm going to really believe that I'm a sent person, I need to look for the gospel in every passage, regularly practice confession, talk about God's work in my life, seek to understand other people. That's why you ask questions like, what do you wish people would ask you? And then, um, so if you're going to believe that God has sent you, first of all, God is at work. The gospel is good news. And the third part of the book is there's titles and job descriptions that the New Testament gives for People who are sent ones, remember that? So there's four of them. Hardworking farmer, patient fisherman, confident ambassador, and or an authoritative royal priest. And so these are four ways of describing sent ones. And so we want to remember that. So if we're believing that God has sent us, God's at work, the gospel is good news, he's given us jobs, we can do it different ways. And that there's supernatural power. We can pray to God and ask for help. Remember those seven prayer requests? Send a spirit of wisdom and revelation into my friend's life. Turn their eyes from worthless things, from the waste of this world. Send others to help them. Please open a door for the gospel and pray for that. Give us boldness to overcome our fear. When we talk to somebody... We can pray that God will spread the message of Christ quickly, that it will spread like wildfire. And then show us, God, when, where, and how, and to whom to share the gospel. So those are the four parts of the first part, believing that God has sent you. Okay? And so now we're going to talk about the second part of the book. <clears throat> so, so far that's all been reviewed, and now we're doing new material. So living like a sent person, what does it seem like? What is it like to be a sent person? And this is a more practical part, and I'm trusting and depending on the experience of these authors. They use scripture here and there, but it's a little more um, from their experience than it is from the Bible, right? So this is just listening to people who are really good at sharing the gospel. And so one of the first ones, uh, this is the six parts of this thing, and we're only going to cover the first two tonight. So... Living like a sent person, <clears throat> it's helpful to see the world that we're sent to. What is the world like? And then what do we see when we look at the world? Then there's this really good chapter about gathering and caring, and we're going to talk about that next week, Lord willing. And then 
the authors give us the easiest questions to ask. They have four questions that they use over and over that really seem to work well. And then the fifth one is the easiest story to tell. And so they give us advice about how to tell our story of how God led us to him. And then ways to invite a person to respond, to actually say, so are you ready to say yes to Jesus? So, that, so this is the six parts of the middle part of the book. You follow what I'm trying to say? At least I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm sparing you from reading the whole book and I'm dumping on you the, the whole core of it, okay? So in the first one then, the world that we are sent to, let's talk about that for a little bit. And I just have some excerpts from the book. Um, they, they, talked about, they, they talked about some surveys that are out there in the world and how our culture has shifted and that there are fewer and fewer people who are, even understand the words sin or Bible and the people who would reject it. And in a lot of ways, um, if you, it's not, you don't need to be a rocket science to know that our world is becoming less and less Christian, right? We're in the post-Christian culture. When I was a little boy, almost everybody knew what an evangelistic meeting was and what sin was in the Bible. And I remember cars going up and down our, occasionally a car would come up our street with a microphone on the roof of the car saying, you know, evangelistic meetings at such and such a church this week, Friday, and, you know, that was public, and people understood, and, you know, in the Cuban Missile Crisis, it wasn't even weird that the president called the people to pray, and everybody did. Churches were packed out, and so it, the, our culture understood religious terminology, but now we live in a culture that, by and large, doesn't. In our attic after school experience, there, I remember even several years ago um, asking people if they'd ever heard of Moses, and they had not. They said, is that a basketball player, Moses Malone or something? Although they wouldn't have known him either. He was too old. But the point is they had no idea that there was a, a Bible story. And so we're increasingly um, in that culture. And what the authors say is we don't embrace a sent life in spite of the current climate of the gospel. It's not this, oh, well, I'm sent by Jesus, even though my culture's so bad, I guess I got to go anyway. No, he says, we embrace a sent life because of the current climate of our culture, for the gospel. It's the very fact that the gospel is needed so much worse, so much more than it ever was when I was a little boy. And so we shouldn't be discouraged by the dark. We should be encouraged because the time is short and the dark is dark. And so the light of Jesus shines more and more. There's fewer distorted views of Jesus because people don't know him at all. And so we can tell the truth the first time up. And, and so I thought that was kind of encouraging, right? Don't let the demise of our culture discourage us, be encouraged. Does that make sense? You follow what I'm saying? It, it's, uh, it's because our world is getting darker that that's why we want to be living a sent life. And then the next thing that they said that I thought was interesting is that um, past gospel presentation approaches worked when people were somewhere between S and Z. And so what they're trying to say here is say that there's this spectrum from A, B, C, D all the way to Z, A to Z. For you guys, that would be A to Z, right? So from the left, A to Z. A is a, is a person who's a straight-up atheist, doesn't believe anything. 
Z is a person who said, I am ready to believe in Jesus. So there's a big spectrum, right? A, a big range of where people are at. And the gospel presentations that we're familiar with historically, like the four gospel laws, what are some gospel presentations? The four gospel laws, the, what is it? Romans Road, um, Evangelism Explosion. There's a number of tracks that you can get that lead you through. ABC, right? Admit you're a sinner, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and confess and you'll be saved. And so, and what they're saying is that those past gospel presentations, they worked for people who were between S and Z. They're already mostly there, right? They're already, so they're, they're already understand that the God exists and that he's created us and that we've sinned and we've gotten in trouble. They're at least ready to understand that they have a sin problem and there's a solution for it. But what the authors are saying here is that nowadays we need to understand many of the people we now, that now cross our paths and those and who don't know Jesus yet are more likely to fall somewhere between closer to A to S. I mean, that's the point is we're, the reason we can't just go door to door and say, are you ready to believe in Jesus? They just, they don't even know what you're talking about. It's because they're still between A, B, C. In other words, it's a long journey and there's a lot of steps to the process and it might not always be obvious. And so that is what the world is like that we're in now. And that's from page 115 in the book, okay? And so they're suggesting that rather than trying to have a canned approach, a canned gospel presentation, which you could use and there's nothing wrong with it, and eventually you would, eventually when a person gets that far, right? They're saying is just try to simply discover where a person is on the journey. In it, you're not going to use the letter G, right? We're not saying, are you a G or an H? And there, I'm not saying that there's a, I'm just trying to communicate there's a spectrum. It's a big journey, right? And we don't know where they are, and they don't necessarily know. And so the goal of a gospel-type conversation now is to simply discover where a person is spiritually. So that's a, that's a, that's kind of refreshing. It's different. You see what I'm saying? We don't have to go, every time we talk to an unbeliever is not the Romans road. We still might be in Genesis, or at least conceptually, not necessarily with the Bible open yet, but we're talking about, is there a God? How did we all get here? Kind of questions. All right, so just try to figure out where a person is. And what would be some good questions you could ask to, to, um, Find out where a person is spiritually. What would be some example questions you could ask to just figure out where a person is? What, that wouldn't be offensive. What would you, what's that? Do you go to church? Yeah, that would be interesting. So that would, that would kind of ask, or do you have a religious affiliation? Or are you part of a church somewhere? Or, you know, that would tell us something about where they are. What other good, what would other good questions? Do you have a church background? So, yeah, did you, do you, in your past, or your family, did anybody in your family have a church background? Yeah? What other questions would be a good question to ask? Do you believe in God, or do you believe that there is a God? Yeah. What other questions? 
Okay, is Bible reading and prayer part of your day? That would assume, that wouldn't assume, but I mean that a person to even know what we're saying would mean they were kind of past the F, G, you know, they're getting towards the middle somehow. But yeah, that would that would certainly tell. They would if they said, "What's a Bible?" Then you'd know. <laughs> David. Yeah. So, what is this God? If do you have the concept of God, and if so, what is how, what is your concept of God? What do you think God is? Yeah. What do you, what is God like in your understanding? Yeah, those are good. Um, some of the questions that the authors suggest later in the book are things like, do you believe that a person can be on a spiritual journey? Or do you, did you, have you ever thought that you were on a spiritual journey? And if so, where do you think you are? You know, just kind of suggesting the idea that there is such a thing as a spiritual journey and ask them that kind of question. Um, I'm curious, do you, does your background what is your what is your faith background? And if they answer, there's something that you could follow up. Say, I'm curious. What does your faith background say about Jesus? What are they? What is their belief about Jesus? And so you're just asking questions. You're not trying to argue or persuading. You're just being curious. What is it that your background says about Jesus? What does it say about him? So those are kinds of questions that you can use to discover where a person's at. Okay. So. They had uh, they gave some suggested steps for working this out, and again, this is some of the things we've already said a little bit. But they said move toward people through prayer. So pray about it always, right? If God prompts you to, you're sitting next to somebody and um, you know them a little bit, then you can pray in your mind right there. God help me to say the right thing. So you you always bathe, uh, bathe everything in, in prayer. And then find out where a person is spiritually and what they need next to move forward. And so you're, you're just trying to find out, so are you on a spiritual journey? And they would, if they say no, then I guess what could you follow up? You could say, have you ever thought about it? Or do you know anybody who is or something, you know? But if they do say yes, they're on a spiritual journey, you could say, where, where, do you, where would you consider yourself on the spiritual journey? And then don't do what I would do is I get nervous and I start giving, I start filling impossible answers for them. Are you just a seeker? Or you, be, you know, I, I should shut up and let them answer. So find out where a person is spiritually and what, and, and you could, if they said, well, I'm just, I'm kind of, you know, I just think I should, um, try to do the right thing and I don't need a formal religion. I can just, I'm trying to do the right thing and, and just keep moving, you know. And then the follow-up question could be, so well, what, what do you think is next for you on that spiritual journey? And if they say, I'm happy where I'm at, then I guess you find out something, right? But if they, it gets them to think. And then the third step they says, the goal of the conversation is have the next conversation ending with the goal and desire of having the next conversation and future conversations. So the goal of a conversation with a person at this level is not to get them saved immediately, right? Or the goal is not to, man, unless I present the four spiritual laws, you're not going to, I blew it. The goal here is just to be kind and 
not offensive enough to keep the door open for another conversation with the person the next time the Lord gives you that opportunity. So it's kind of encouraging to me, right? Does this make sense? Does anybody have any thoughts to that? form that they don't feel pressured, they don't feel um, that I'm attacking them, but I'm just gaining information so that I know where to take, yeah, the next step, the next conversation, because basically I care about whether I know this person or not. I care about this person. I care about where they end up, okay? So basically we're, we're just gathering information and then I can find out more about this uh, person in the next conversation. And before you know it, you're, you are more than acquaintances, you are becoming friends, but you, you are, then you pray more for the person and God gives you more to talk about and it leads into a wonderful weaving of how he presents the gospel through you, through other ways to this person yeah. to eventually maybe get saved. Yeah. I, I really like how it reminds me what you're saying, Renee, is that it reminds me I'm not the salesperson. I'm not trying to close the deal. God is the only person who can actually bring a person to himself, and he's working. So all I'm doing is just trying to be a faithful farmer or that fisherman. I'm just trying to move it along. I'm just trying to help them. And the Lord, the, uh, one of the authors, t authors told a story where she asked a person, so have, what is your background, and what does your background say about Jesus? And this other woman eventually became a Christian, and she told her testimony, she said, that question messed me up so bad. I went home and I thought and thought, I don't have an answer for that. And all my other approaches had failed. And so it was just asking a question in a non-threatening. See, because I'm not having to win, I'm not on the line, and I'm not nervous, they don't feel intimidated. It's, it really frees it up to just, and in some ways you could almost say Jesus sort of did this with the woman at the well, right? He just if you knew who it was, you'd ask him for water. And then they just went and went. Donna. So I guess it's kind of like just planting some seeds, putting them in the ground, throwing out some ideas, and ask God to get that person thinking about the thoughts that you planted. Yeah, perfect. And, and it goes all the way back to what we believe, right? God is working in their life. And he's the one who's going to do it. And we don't, we, we don't have to take the, the crop all the way from seed to harvest all at once. We don't have to get ahead of it. We, don't, we just got to be faithful. And if we would just do that little bit, think about how much more we would be doing. I'm afraid that too often I'm hesitant because I'm trying to close the whole deal all the time. And I, I think this is helpful to just be kind and so they did give some specific hints about how to do this again. They said, the journey is not always a straight line. So sometimes a person can jump from C to X, right? Or they can go for, to G and then back all the way up. Oh, wait, I don't believe. So it, it's just a, it's a model, right? It, the journey's not always a straight line. So that's a good hint. If somebody suddenly starts saying, I don't believe in Jesus or God at all anymore, don't feel like we failed, they're just going through it. They're figuring it out. 
be bold and respectful, right? So you're not offensive, but you're not afraid either. And that comes from understanding that Jesus is the one who does the work. And, um, and so you don't have to belittle or win the argument. And then always remember to pray, right? So keep God involved. He'll give you help all the time. And then watch this one. I, I, this is shorter than the way they said it, but I'm trying to make it only take one line on the screen. But they basically watch for certain situations. When a person is in a suffering or a setback, they're often more spiritually sensitive. And so look for those. So if somebody's house burns down, it's a great time to come and say, what do you think God is working in? You know, are you on a spiritual journey? Where are you at today? Or if a baby is born or if they get a promotion or if they get fired or, you know, there's events in life can make a person more spiritually sensitive, a, a big change in their life. And so watch for those opportunities. And then if the person is not interested at all, if they just seem to, if they say, oh, I'm not interested in any spiritual journey, then use that as an opportunity to say, well, I, I just love to share that God has been working in my life a ton. I have been learning some things lately. I did not realize how um, selfish I was. And, and God has really been convicting me. And I'm just so grateful. So you just make reference to your own spiritual journey and that can maybe whet their appetite for such things too. So they're just little hints that they give. And, and then sometimes, even though a person is um, not ready to accept the gospel, the authors say sometimes it's still really helpful to explain the incomplete gospel so that they understand what it is that they're grappling with. And this would be like the third or fourth conversation we would have them with them. This isn't the first one necessarily. But um, he, the, the man and the, the author, the husband, he told a story about a neighbor who walked by his house every day with his pet uh, dog. And he went by the same time every day and he'd always wave at him. And the this Holy Spirit started to convict the author. They said, man, you know, I should do more than just say hi to him every day. I see him every day. It's like clockwork. And so he, he finally said to him, hey, well, you know, if we're going to say hi to each other every day, I ought to at least know your name. You know? and so he introduced himself. And then, you know, that was good. And, you know, that was fun. And then he was nice to the dog. And then he went on and he said, man, I should have done more than that. I, I feel so the Holy Spirit was convicting him. And the guy went down to the end of the street. And instead of going around the bike, he turned around and came back again. And oh, good, the Lord gave me a second chance. And he said to him, would you, he knew his name was Bill Nice, says, would you be willing to, would you like to meet for coffee sometime? You're one of our neighbors. And Bill said, oh, man, I'd love to do that. And so that began him meeting with Bill on a regular basis to just talk about things. And Bill was open. His wife was ill, and he had to walk the dog, and he, then he spent a lot of time with his wife in the nursing home, and then she eventually died. So this is a long story in this whole event of this guy's life. But the interesting thing that the author said is that there was a time when Bill was starting to understand the, the implications of sin and God and all this, and he needed to understand what the whole thing was so he knew where he stood. And so I did. I explained this is the whole gospel. I believe that a person needs to, you know, Jesus, we're sinners. We're condemned because of our sin. But Jesus came and lived the perfect life. 
and he died on the cross and God accepts his death as a substitute for us. And so if we trust him and believe God, then God gives Jesus' righteousness to us and our sin is put on him. And then Jesus rose from the dead to prove who he was and Jesus is going to come back someday and take us home. And so I believe in Jesus because he died for it. So the whole gospel, and then, the, then Bill was able to say, oh, I don't agree with that stuff. I don't agree with that part. But it gave them a way for Bill to go down the spiritual journey. And interestingly enough, by the end of the book, he still is not a believer for sure. But he's a friend, and they still meet for coffee every week. So it's kind of an interesting thing. So... <clears throat> Again, it just, um, we're in a world where people are hurting and they're more willing to talk to, and they're more willing to engage in these conversations than we expect. I think the enemy really makes us think that nobody is interested. But we need to remember that God is working and he's making them interested. And God is using us to respond to that interest in a way that lets us be part of God calling them to himself, right? So those, I, I think there's some really practical good things in all very biblical. Any thoughts at this point before we go to the next part? Did anyone want to comment for the podcast? Or? Okay. All right. So um, living like a sent person is to recognize the world that we are sent to, right? There's people on a spectrum from A to Z, and all we're trying to do is help them find out where they are and take a next step. And mission accomplished. And Jesus does the rest. Okay, so the next thing that they emphasize is, what do you see? What do you and I see when we go out into the world? And so they use this passage, they said in John chapter 4, this is the woman at the well, right? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? I mean, they're, they're kind of clueless sometimes. And he was telling us that he had been nourished in his soul by having done God's will. And so um, his disciples were confused. But anyways, what Jesus says next is really interesting. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then Jesus says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months till the harvest. So this is one of the passages we use to remind us that we're hardworking farmers, right? This is the kind. And he says, I tell you, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And so, open your eyes and look. And that is, in the ESV, is open your eyes and see. And so the question is, what do you see? When you go through your world, you're at the grocery store, or you're at a coffee shop, or you're at work, or you're at school, and it's one of those medium, you know, you're not on the clock times per se. What do you see? What are, what are the people, what do you see when you see the people around you? What might a person see?
Sometimes I think of that one song, I think it was Simon and Garfunkel, All Those Lonely People, where, where do they all come from? Um, because we know that, um, you know, we identify with them as a person and we know how much we need the Lord and you wonder where are they at with their relationship with God. I probably should go back real quick to, to the beginning section too because it was really interesting that first part, um, Steve, when he was in first grade, um, there was a boy in his class, Keith, and um, I think I was a homeroom mother at the school or something, but anyway, so Keith's um, mother was not married and um, at the time, so Keith would come over to our house a lot and play with um, Steve, but um, she was... Um, so one time I visited them you know, to invite them to vacation Bible school and everything, and she said, well, I'm just going to let Keith decide, you know, <laughs> his spiritual journey and everything. And then I, I'm just our friendship and everything, basically, um, you know, I shared with her what Jesus meant to me, and I, I mentioned, you know, praying for certain things that she was talking about. And, um, and then that came into that... Um, when she had a baby, because she, you know, um, she remarried her first husband and then had a baby, and that baby had physical problems. And um, the long and short of it is that's when God was making her sensitive. And I had no idea, because <laughs> over the time that, you know, we didn't stay in real close contact the whole time, but I couldn't believe that she considers me her spiritual mother because it was just um, a God thing. And, um, <laughs> you know, so it, it, was a, it was a Holy Spirit thing. And I just um, thought that this is what I was supposed to say at that time, et cetera, you know. So it really um, goes along with what you were saying. God is at working in, the, in our... Our contribution is not great because we're so clever. It's, it's significant and great because of what Jesus does with it, right? He's the one that makes the seed grow. Good. So it was what you said when you see people sometimes as you see them as look at all the lonely people, where have they all come from, right? What are other ways to see people, David? Um, kind of to add to that, like when I go to school, I think like, there's so many problems, not like, <clears throat> like there's so much pain, there's so much that people are going through on a daily basis and like they don't necessarily talk about, but that's so much more room to be compassionate and show the love of Jesus. So. Well, my biggest contact is, is at Attic and the kids that I see there, a lot of them, a lot of them are confused uh, <clears throat> because there's so many different voices out there. They just become confused. They don't know how to sort them out. They have no foundation to sort. And Jesus saw the crowds, and they look like sheep without a shepherd, beaten down and oppressed. You guys have all said really nice things. I, 
I often look at people and say, what a bunch of idiots. I, I really do. I'm super judgmental. I go to the mall and I say, man, is this a fool party? You know, is everybody, because you, you can, one of my favorite proverbs is you can tell a fool by the way they walk down the road. How awful, really, right? So judgmental of my, on my part. How should, what do you see? A lot of, go ahead. Yeah. By the drove? Yeah, it's just you would look at, yeah, just walking down the street. You have to even have their pants pulled up so they can walk down the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, Jesus sees them as lost and hurting and in problems, but he also sees them way more valuable than I do. I, I forget that Jesus died for them too. You know, it's pretty neat that he loves me, but he loves them like that too. And he wants them to be rescued from what I would regard as their foolishness, right? And so I need to have a different view. I think a lot of times we would also have to admit that sometimes we don't see anything other than competitors for the parking spot or you know, that person cutting me off in line, or why Why are you blocking my way? I'm just trying to go through this aisle. Why? What's wrong with you? Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> right? That Christmas rush. But. So we, we want to look at people. What is Jesus saying here? He says, he's telling his disciples, look at you, you guys. You didn't even see the whole harvest, right? All these people are coming out from the city, of where you know of Samaria and and the ripe they want to be they want to find God. So this is a fun idea. And I am gonna challenge you to join me in a what do you see challenge. Okay? So what the what do you see challenge is is for the next 30 days or so, you give me permission to send you a text sometime between 8 in the morning and 8 at night that simply says, what do you see? Once a day, just to remind you to open your eyes and look around and see who's around you. And then come back and tell us, report in on Sundays, what did you see when you got your text? It won't be the same time I have a software. I'll do it randomly. And um, it won't be an email. It'll be to your text. And you don't, aren't supposed to answer through the text. It's just purely a random reminder once a day to open your eyes and look around you and say, what do I see? Because maybe you'll be in the cafeteria, Dave, at school, and it reminds you to look and see, hmm. And wouldn't it be something if God would work to see, man, I need to see that person a different way. Or maybe it'll be me working in my basement and because I'll, I'll, I won't know when mine's coming either and I'll look out the window and maybe there'll be a whole row of buses in the parking lot waiting to go. It's just a, yep, what did you see? So the goal is not to cause us to do spiritual conversations per se, although it could. What the goal of the challenge is, is to be a nudge 
to change my view of the world, to, to help me be more aware that I'm a sent one, not just living. I'm not just a Christian on Sundays at church. I'm not just, I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking. And so it's just a cutesy way of being nudged to do that, all right? And so we'll just start it with people who are here tonight. If you are willing, just contact me with an email or a text and let me know, hey, I want to be part of the What Do You See Challenge. And maybe in a week or two, I can expand it to the church as a whole if I can figure out a way to write about it or something that would encourage people. But I just want to do as an experiment. So it's sort of like who's your one, right? We're going to pray for and we have a daily effort to pray for our who's your one. This is just a little nudge to remember to be looking. Jesus said, what do you see? When you see the, you know, look, lift up your eyes. Look at the harvest. So it's, it's an effort to on purpose obey Jesus, right? It's still, four, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. And so that's all it is, is just a nudge to open your eyes. All right? So we'll see who all, and uh, we'll report back. So that's the end of tonight's material. And so we got, uh, we got through that first two points of what it means to live like a sent person. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about some really practical really effective questions like, what do you wish people would ask you? That's a good question. All right, any closing thoughts or comments? Makes sense? All right. Father, thank you so much for this time together. We, uh, we pray that you'll open our eyes. Help me, uh, I want to confess, forgive me for being so judgmental in how I view my neighbors. I'm so often so irritated. Help me to See them the way you do, Jesus. Help me to, to have your heart. May your love compel me to, to see them. You've been so, so good to me. And I know that you're, you want to be so good to them, too. And you can. And so may I have your kinds of eyes. May I see them the way you do. In your name, amen. Dismissed.